Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Blockhead listeners, welcome to a new episode of Blockhead. <laughs> uh, just so you know, you tuned into the right show. Here we are, it's Blockhead, and number one Blockhead speaking here. And today is the second part of our two-part interview with the wonderful Michael Jancy of The Norm, uh, the comic that has uh, uh, defied all expectations and, and lived on in many different lives. Michael Jancy's The Norm is just a terrific piece of work, and I hope you're familiar with it. I hope last episode sent you off to Go Comics to check out his work, and even better, sent you to jancy.com, where you can order in The Norm 4.0, a wonderful collection of, of the strips he's been doing uh, since The Norm was uh, revived on Go Comics, and I think you will find it will tickle your funny bone and it will also uh, touch your aesthetic sensibility and I think you will be pleased all the way around if you check that book out. You might also check out the other things Michael has to offer at jancy.com. He's got a brand new calendar for 2020. So uh, look into that and his graphic novel, Knocked Out Loaded, which I highly, highly recommend as well as other things available at jancy.com. So be sure to check that out. Michael and I continue our conversation about all things comics and all things the norm and his work and his intersection with Charles Schultz here and there. So let's get right to it. Uh, Part two of of my discussion with Michael Jancy. I thought that article that you wrote about uh, Sparky, about Charles Schultz, was really, really insightful in a lot of ways. And one of the things that you you quoted was this idea of draw the strip that suits you best. And you talked a little bit about your experience of, of finding that. There are a lot of cartoonists who listen to the show, and some of them are still trying to work it out. And and so it might be interesting for you to talk a little bit about that, how you, you do that. How do you find the strip that suits you best? in in order to to nestle into that place where you can be the cartoonist that you're meant to be yeah i wish i knew next topic <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, now, let's too. see the, it's um you know for me the the, the journey was that uh, <laughs> i was you know we were just speaking about you know uh what it is and um so many of um so many of the the, the first generation of cartoonists you know all kind of would uh draw for other cartoonists, you know, the owl caps and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you'd, you know, you draw backgrounds and cut the bristle and so forth and clean yeah. things up and slowly, you know, work your way into inking or something. And, you know, with, with our generation, uh, we were all trained at college in the newspapers Yeah. and the new generation's being trained on the web. Right. And so, you know, it's a very different way that you, you get there these days. But in, in my generation, it was, um, you know, get on a campus paper and, mm-hmm you know, dive in and make mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes. And so the, a lot of those influences at that point was by then I had, wasn't reading peanuts as I, um, you know, as a source of, uh, 
kind of inspiration per se. It was, um, you know, certainly in there as, and was the bar, but, you know, I was reading Doonesbury and, uh, when, um, uh, Bloom County came out, uh, I was reading Bloom County. I, Calvin Hobbes didn't start until I was out of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those were and Walt Kelly. I'd found Walt Kelly book, reprint books at oh, one yeah. point. And I just, I love the political, uh, work in the, the, the pogo strips. I thought it was just amazing. Um, you know, how much he could say without, um, you know, doing it, you know, right, you know, nailing things on the head. Mm-hmm. And then my other influence, obviously, was leftover man magazine memories from the, from the 70s. Um, but um, my huge influence in the early 80s was uh, Jeff McNally. And oh. I was doing editorial cartooning as well. And so um, this idea of, you know, the, the Greek chorus in the bottom of the, of the corner that Oliphant and McNally, everybody started having, you know, uh, you know, a character at the bottom saying something else. Um, you know, and so I did that, um, in my, uh, editorial cartoons, I had a duck down there that was always, you know, quacking <laughs> about something. Uh huh. And, um, and so, you know, off I went. So that, that was kind of the beginning of that. And I felt that I had created something when I sent those off to the syndicate and eventually self-published my, my, my book called Normals, uh, USA, I brought the, the duck left over from that into that strip with the armadillo and, um, and so I had these animals and I had these uh, humans and the feedback was always um, uh, the syndicates would say, this is a comic book. You know, you should do long form stuff. And yeah. uh, the, you know, I, when I, I got um, uh, an offer from DC comics to, to publish uh, normal USA, but I, I didn't, I gave them another property because I was, I thought I was so close with syndication that I didn't want to hand over, you know, yeah. full copyright. So I, um, where am I going with that? Oh, so I, so, you know, this is what I thought I was going to do was this kind of, I wanted to do a longer form piece, but you know, the syndicate said, we just can't sell that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the days of the little Abners and so forth. And, you know, I'd point to him and I, not that I was arguing with him, I'd say, but you know, what about for better and for worse? And, mm-hmm. you know, sure. gasoline alley still going with, you know, a little bit of storylines and most strips go off. And mm-hmm. by then Calvin and Hobbes was out and I go, you know, he he'll go off for two weeks and do a storyline. And he goes, you know, these are very mature strips. This isn't what you can do in the first, you know, three to five years of your strip. You really need to draw a strip every day that introduces characters over and over again because you're just building market. Mm. And, you know, and that was that was a real hard hill to get over for me was yeah. that um, that I had to basically hold back and not draw the strip I wanted to draw. So somewhere in the late 80s, I had a development deal with United Media for Normal USA and by then, you know, they wanted the, the animals out and could you just do a strip about a, a you know, a, mm-hmm. this, this, um, young couple, you know, whatever. And, uh, maybe he could be a teacher instead of, you know, a farmer, you know, get him off the farm, make him a teacher, you know, and, and somewhere in there, I finally found that writer's block and I was like, oh my gosh, I have, I've literally said yes to everything and I'm doing nothing that I care about anymore. Um, and so that development deal ended. And thankfully, I mean, I think if they would have taken a chance on me, I just would have struggled with just a strip that I didn't know what I was doing. Then at that point, I was uh, working on another project with DC. So, and I was in newspapers as an editor. And I, uh, I just decided I'm going to take a little time off. And I started a graphics journal. And I realized, well, why don't I just not, I'm not going to worry about being funny. I'll just actually write a journal, which I had never written a journal in my life, you know, 
your diary kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do it as a cartoon journal. And that's where the, the, that idea of the characters, you know, talking to the audience and slowly uh, Norm didn't look like Norm. He looked like the old character from the old strip at mm-hmm. first. And then finally he was like, well, I have dark hair. I should, this, this, why am I drawing this blonde haired person? <laughs> <laughs> and so slowly, you know, I, I got to the, the truth of the matter, which was that, um, 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 I just wasn't really writing about myself. I had put on way too many masks to, to kind of get to the truth of things. And, um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of where that bubbled up. And I remember uh, when Jay Kennedy called, uh, when he saw the package, he goes, Oh my God, you figured this out. It's so cool to have watched you like, uh, get yourself and get what is particular and particularly funny about you your personality and your humor on paper. He goes, he goes, I'm just absolutely overjoyed. He goes, it's such a wind, you know, to, 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 that you got there. And so when I actually submitted the norm to the syndicates, um, I had, I only submitted to three syndicates and I had two offers and the mm-hmm. third syndicate I never heard from. So <laughs> I think <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> yeah. They, and I was they, too shy to call. So, <laughs> man, well, you but that's, know. that's, you know, it was, it was a matter of, not listening to other people. So I think that's the short answer is that um, stop taking people's advice and, and get to the, the heart of the matter. And you're still going to be wrong because yeah. the strip that I launched with was, was I'm still very proud of it. It was a, it was a good strip, but I, I loved eventually some of the complications and being able to write that thing daily. Um, you know, very quickly you, you are forced to, to get to the themes and, and, you know, what's important in the strip. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's, I, I think that it, it's interesting that you underscore it because the, the thing that jumped out at me, and, and I think this is something that's really important for anybody who's trying to develop their work to hear. And that is you said yes to every suggestion that somebody made to you in order perhaps to please them, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because you were deferring, you know, to their experience, their editorial. Oh, yeah, novel, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happened along the way, and maybe it was a necessary step in the evolution, was that you lost yourself. And comics are ultimately, and I think you, you wrote this as well, comics are ultimately a form of personal expression. And maybe you have to go through that that period where you do defer to, you know, the older and wiser people, but, but then you have to allow yourself to emerge somehow and, and fight back the way we, you know, we fight back against our parents when we're teenagers in order to do, to become autonomous beings, uh, in some way, perhaps that's something that you have to go through, but that's the, the key lesson there is that you've got to determine it yourself. You've got to, it's got to be your vision ultimately, or it's not going to work. Right. And, you know, you, you do have to pair that up with commerce, which is, yeah. you know, this is an art form that eventually the idea is that you're going to partner with somebody and you're going to build a business around it. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, uh, you can, for the first time in, in the last 15, 20 years, you can now divorce yourself of that if you want to. You don't have to follow the rules. You can just publish, you know, online or self-publish. Mm-hmm. There's so many shortcuts to high quality uh, distribution that doesn't involve, you know, these antiquated ways. And yet, um, there's still something very wonderful about, um, finding a way to, you know, get, uh, uh, creativity to meet business. And yeah. it's, it's, it is wonderful. I mean, Hollywood's based on that and 
publishing's based on that. And there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of, um, you know, what we've, we've always balanced is we try to balance, um, you know, how much of our, how, how much we're being stubborn about something. And I think I learned a lot of that from Watterson. He had um, uh, actually wrote me back. I had sent him my work early and uh, I'd get these wonderful letters back critiquing uh, the piece. Um, and somewhere in there, he had um, also, you know, just through the way he behaved of like, no, you, you may not do this with my strip. I don't care what contract I signed. Right. That, um, that it's okay to push back and, and to say that, you know, um, this is, this isn't the intent of, of this creative uh, property. Um, mm -hmm. You can't make a, um, you know, a Ford car into a motorboat. Right. Uh, just by taking the wheels off, it'll sink. And I think that sort of clarity that he had was something that I, I, I have taken a cue from over the years, which is, well, if, if we can't do it here, we can do it somewhere else. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and I think also uh, having a vision for what you think is important, where, where is it you, you place your integrity? You know, where do you put your foot down and say, this is what this is about and this is where it's got to go. And, and I'm not going to dilute it, you know, because that's not right. I mean, yeah, it's not to say that you don't listen when you think there is a critique or is, there is, you know, advice that comes along that mm -hmm. may be pertinent and may work. I mean, obviously there is that. But, but when you do hear something that just sort of goes against the grain, it's not a bad idea to step back and, and before you, you know, acquiesce to it, you know, because maybe you're in a power situation where you don't have the power, you have to uh, think it through, you know, uh, and think about whether this is in Watterson's case, you know, whether it's merchandising or something else or Ray Billingsley, they wanted him to his first trip. They wanted him to add a white baby, you know, uh, to the, fa a black family adopt a white child in the middle of New York city. And, and, you know, Ray, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> yeah. he said, wait a minute. That's not, of that's course not he did. Right. So he stepped away from that. You know, he had to, we'll part ways now because this isn't where I'm going to go. Yeah. And quite rightly, right? And so yeah. you got to find a place where you have to stick to your guns. I believe Robot Man is a good example of that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the the original history of that strip was that it was created after Garfield mm -hmm. uh, by the syndicate, so the syndicate could own the whole thing. And Watterson was even asked to uh, write and wow. draw it at one point, and he turned it down. Oh. Um, and um, it was meant to be a plush toy uh, <laughs> merchandising extravaganza yeah. and of course you know it didn't sell in papers um wildly like they they expected and so they slowly just you know handed uh, the strip over to a medic and let him do what he wanted with it you know over time yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a it, it was a very interesting story i didn't realize i read that i think i read that in a, a gas um is it gasoline no hogan's alley or hogan's alley or, yeah uh, or uh, maybe it was in the cartoonist i can't remember which uh or cartoonist profiles. I can't remember where I read that story, but it was, it was fascinating. I didn't realize that strip had been like, they were going to just create this, this thing out of, out of, you know, uh, bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of scraps of cloth instead of whole let's, cloth. And let's do transformers, I, you know, yeah, you know, I just, yeah, exactly. I just did a, um, uh, a talk at, um, university of Kentucky at the uh, Shires honors college. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions was asked was, how do you balance creativity and business? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when do you know when to say no? And when do you know when to say yes? And <clears throat> I think the, I think the answer I gave, and if it's not, then whatever, 
was that, um, you know, so much of our work in the creative wor world is work for hire, whether we work yeah. for a studio or, uh, you know, on an ad agency and so forth that, you know, creatives generally are working in a work for hire. And so it's, it's very odd for us to be in a place where we own the IP. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's the thing you have to think about, which is if this is going to be mine, yeah. I'm the one who's going to be sharing the privilege of making money off of this. And you have to decide, you know, balance that out. Like, am I walking away from a lot of money <laughs> to hold on to something that doesn't, doesn't, shouldn't support that kind of uh, activity? And that's the, you know, that's, that question comes up a lot for us creatives is, do I say yes or do I say no? Because ultimately, as we are creating and authoring and writing these things, they can become large. And, sure. you know, you, you, if you have that, if you care about that, then, um, then that's your personality and that's what you should go after. And if for you, it's just that, you know, you want to create, um, you know, the, the biggest thing ever, then that's great. But, you know, uh, Steven Hillenberg didn't mean to make SpongeBob the biggest thing in, in, you know, comic history for the last 15 20 years it was something that he just thought was funny and we all agreed yeah yeah and 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 you know that's kismet you know that's when it, yeah. it's working at its best so you know speaking of commerce then you, you moved away from syndicate i mean you moved away from what most cartoonists of our generation anyway thought of as a dream job you know, mm -hmm. the syndicated comic strip and you moved into the world of Yancey studios and animation and all of the other things that you're doing, but also you moved the norm, uh, out of there, uh, and, and took it on yourself and, and then reappeared online and now you're on go comics. And so how has that worked for you in terms of finances? And, and it's obviously it's worked out and it's worked out well. So what are the pluses and the minuses? I mean, what were the, what were the things that you sacrificed by leaving and what are the things that you gained? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hard question. This will break a lot of people's hearts. So, uh, <laughs> the, the, the norm money during syndication was, was never the money that I made, uh, working in, I was at the time I had, uh, I was working in industrial light and magic as a visual effects art director. And, you know, I, I had a six figure salary there and was, mm -hmm. you know, working with, you know, A-list directors and so forth on A-list films. And I had left all that. <clears throat> um, my uh, wife at the time had a uh, job offer uh, at a dot com up in Portland, Oregon. It was a matter that we had to move away. And it just seemed to make sense that I could become the gentleman cartoonist and work from home and, um, play ball in the afternoon with my son and sure. all of that. So it was, you know, we had, it was a lovely calculated, uh, move, but, uh, I think they told me at the time I was the only person that ever quit ILM. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that had to be hard to do. I, mean, I think I, I'm a professional I, quitter sometimes when I look back at my career, but, um, what had happened was, so, um, doing that meant that I knew that I was sort of stuck in this salary range of hobby money with the strip. I was, I was in about, I think 65 papers at the time and we had a majority of metro papers because the norm was a little more hip and urban and so we weren't selling we had a very blank uh, sales map that had nothing in the midwest essentially mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then it was all bigger papers like Atlanta and uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco and Salt Lake City New Mexico uh, Albuquerque and those you know we were we were mm -hmm. always kind of in these metro markets so uh, the money was okay, but it wasn't the kind of money that 
you'd raise a family on. And so, um, but because I was staying home, I was the stay at home dad. That was, that was a choice my wife and I at the time had made. And then we, um, moved around a bit. And when I got to, what was that? Maybe 2002, um, I had, I had had an offer to, I had an eight year break in my contract, uh, so that, uh, I had a 15 year contract with a eight, seven and, um, another syndicate was interested in moving me over to see if we could jumpstart things again. And the contract was actually just, just as bad as the, the one that I was at at the syndicate I was at. And so it didn't feel like it was worth it. So, um, my wife and I had, I had sort of made a promise to her that if we didn't get to six figure billing after five years that, you know, I'd go back to work. Um, and we decided to have another child. So I stayed home and that was, you know, sort of a life choice. And so, so many of the decisions with Norm were more about life choices than, than, uh, the, you know, actually the strip. So when we got to 2004, um, I just, we had moved back to San Francisco and it was, um, obvious i just it was time to make a little more money yeah and um so i had uh, decided i just i was just leaving the strip so i told the syndicate that um i was done and um we uh, you know i was going to turn it all off but the mail came in um i'd made that decision in july and of course i was far enough ahead on the strip that it's ended in september mm-hmm. and the mail came in after it, it quit and people were like oh you can't quit so, um, uh, we, um, set up this, we said, well, maybe there's a way to do this. And I think the mistake I made was that I should have just switched to a Sunday only like Bill Amon did. Uh-huh. Instead I switched to, I'll do five dailies a week. Um, uh-huh. and then still run this. I had an animation studio that I that had a couple clients bubble up and money was good. So, um, I I could still do this at night and it was like, it was just too much to do. So um, about a year into that, the first year I was doing that, I was like, why did I, why did I leave syndication if I'm still drawing five of these a week? Right. <laughs> but we had picked up, um, uh, we had raised, um, I think the goal was a hundred thousand. We got to about 80,000 in, in 12 weeks. And this was pre Indiegogo and all that. It was just a, a PayPal account. Wow. And, um, so I had, I got paid 80,000 to draw wow. the strip that first year. And it was like, holy crap. Okay, here yeah. we go. <laughs> sure. um, this is what we wanted to do. And then um, the next year came around to do the next round of funding that next September. And um, suddenly it was 55,000. You know, uh-huh. there was, there was, it was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to, this is a business. And I look back now and I realize we'd invented Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) instead of doing the strip, I should have basically set up the business model for for funding. (laughs) Yeah. It was really, and, uh, I, uh, yeah, I think, I I don't think we realized what we had at the time, but, uh, at that point I, I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, uh, if I am going to draw this many strips a week, I'm going to do something different. And that's when I had started on knocked out loaded. Uh, and then the following, um, fall, my, uh, uh, wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was just a matter of like, I gotta, I gotta turn all this off and focus on the family. And so that was the end of norm after 10 years yeah. was, um, and I didn't finish knocked out loaded at the time. It was, I kind of whipped a, an ending together, slapped right. it together and said, I'm, I think I'm done here. Um, 
and then off with the animation studio and all, all that. And uh, I went off and taught for a few years so my wife could take some time off. Mm-hmm. And I taught at Savannah College of Art and Design for four years. And that was in there somewhere that I started like thinking about what else I was going to write, et cetera. So anyway, that was uh, so many of the decisions with the norm really weren't about, you know, business strategy. It was just kind of life and, and the way to balance this. And it was one of our goals as, as parents to always have somebody at home with yeah. the kids. And so we did that for, I think, 16, 17 years. Wow. That we were able to always have somebody That's be able to drive the kids to school instead of, you know, off doing dual incomes and all that sort of stuff. So That's Norm fantastic. afforded, the Norm and the animation studio afforded me to, to uh, you know, work out of the house or a studio near the house and and uh, still always, you know, hang out with the kids as, as often. So it was yeah. great. Yeah. So, but so it wasn't, it's... yeah, but it wasn't just, uh, you know, we weren't marching business while, you know, walking around with suit and tie on making decisions. Yeah, <laughs> and you know it's it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think we, I'm I'm thinking about the the critical world when they you know they write up stuff about you know whatever creative endeavor they're critiquing. And one of the things that never consider in, until the biography comes out or the whatever is the is the life situations and the things that happen in life that impede and change and and you know dramatically alter yeah. what it is you're doing. Uh, I mean, just an example when I was a kid. Uh, I was, I was painting and doing these, you know, gallery shows. And in, in, when I was in college, I was painting really, really big. And then I got out of school and I had no place to paint and yeah. I had a tiny little car. So I started painting in these little, you know, 12 by 12 canvases that I could piece together to make a big canvas. And, oh, uh, I mean, it's the kind of thing that, that, well, you know, you change, you adapt to your circumstance mm-hmm. and whatever that circumstance is. And, and obviously that's what you had to do and that's uh, how it impacted the work. But that's, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of that is that business and, and commerce always, you know, affect art mm-hmm, absolutely. In the form and the forms we work in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's left out of the critical dialogue, but, uh, yeah, and technology you, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And technology too. Cause was, uh, again, you and I, I'm keep harping on this, but we both had to learn technology as it came along. Uh, and it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants when, you know, the switch to, to digital and to Photoshop and all that kind of stuff happened. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, so it, it's technology is going to have that impact too. And ultimately, you know, it is going to change the dynamic so that you move from print and you move to online uh, distribution. And uh, and so now you're at Go Comics, and that's the hub, right? For Norm is uh, the Norm is at uh, Go Comics. Yeah, and yeah. so there's yeah there's a there's a classics page mm-hmm. at yeah. GoComics.com, the Norm, and then there's uh, the Norm 4.0 page at GoComics.com, Jancy. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, there's a good reason to be on Go Comics, which is that's where everybody is. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's, great... um, you know, y- you, when you kind of look at marketing and all this sort of stuff, there's the Mavens and the, and the choir or whatever you want to call it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's one of the things was that, uh, I had realized, uh, we did some marketing with King back when I was syndicated where we created the Norm magazine. Mm-hmm. The, Id- the idea of it was to put, you know, comics in comic shops uh-huh. in markets we weren't in. And, right. uh, because that's where we don't have to do any conversion of comic fans. You're, you're already, right. you know, these people like comics. You just have to then slice from there, you know, that subset of people that like comic strips and whether they'd be interested in this kind of humor and et cetera, uh, versus, you know, trying to, 
talk everybody into that. It was a it was a good idea, but most of my most of my newspaper syndicate sales came from the fact that the graphic artist at the newspaper loved the strip and walked it in and uh-huh. got it in the newspaper. And I think I think our marketing effort should have just been pointed at <laughs> at uh, you know graphic artists. Uh, yeah, right. Saw themselves in a strip. Well, yeah, but, uh, and the strip's beautiful, and it's always been beautiful. And uh, so, you know, anybody who appreciates the art form, uh, whether you know, and particularly artists, are going to look at it. And this is why I think in don't. I hope you take this the right way. I think of you in a lot of ways as a cartoonist, cartoonist. You know, you're you're one of those guys, not only in terms of writing, but also in terms of the way you put your strip together visually, all of the parts are there and they're working in, in concert together beautifully. And, uh, my my editor at King features told me that once and I wasn't sure it was a compliment either. Yeah. (laughs) I I think he meant it was, it meant that it, that it made me unmarketable. Yeah. Well, unfortunately sometimes that I, hate to say that is what the the case sometimes unfortunately the best opportunists are those that sometimes it don't sell but you know it's interesting uh to think about the comic book uh, community and comic shops and and i kind of understand the marketing idea they're two very different audiences but you know it brings me around to uh, your long form piece with knocked out loaded which is a fabulous book and yet it also maintains a real direct tie to the comic strip form in that and and i didn't realize this the first time i read it through uh it's basically told in comic strip sequence i mean each page many of the pages anyway Mm -hmm. um you can read them as individual comic strips as well as a an entire as as well as a page as well as a full page it's like a very different way of organizing and storytelling in terms of the graphic novel yeah you know it's it's funny i um when i um started it i had that's actually what i was doing with dc comics back in the 80s was they had a imprint called piranha press and it was uh myself and mark hempel and kyle baker and some others wow um and they they had hired people that basically had never written comics before is what they wanted they wanted people that didn't know how to draw comics or write comic books to do it and um i i got the gig because of the normal usa book um that they had found in a, uh, uh, comic shop. And I can't remember which one. Um, and so, um, it was just purely happenstance. And so what I had come up with was well, like, I want to basically create at the time. It was like, I want to put one comic on each page and they're essentially comic strips. And I wanted this idea of like, I don't want it to be a graphic novel. I want it to be more like a comic strip art novel or a, you know, something yeah. like that. And the idea was, um, well, it was just that. And then, so that just sat there and sat in a folder for years. And when I came back to that in, um, 2006, I, I realized, oh, I could pick up knocked out loaded was actually the storyline for the second book that, uh, I had sold them. Uh, the first one was called rave on, and these weren't published because DC exploded in the early nineties. And I got a lawyer and got my rights back and left. Um, it just, it just wasn't worth it. I think it was on my fifth yeah. editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd actually, uh, the, the first book, which was called Ravon was a three part, 180 page graphic novel. And mm-hmm. it was supposed to be eight by 11 and they wanted to shrink it down to trade book size. And can mm-hmm. we make it a two parter? So we'll just whack it at 90 pages east. And it's like, well, it's not set up that way. And it was like, uh, and they go, well, you could rewrite it. And I go, well, then I'd like more money. And they were like, well, we don't have any more money. And <laughs> 
It's like, um, here's my lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was the end of that. So I'd spent three or four years working with them and got paid a lot of money that I didn't have to give back. That's why I went and got a lawyer. Was there like, well, you could return all the money too. <laughs> so oh. it, it was awful. And, and we're going to keep the copyright. They decided it was like, no, you're going to do none of that. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I ended I up, uh, that ended up going my way, but Thank it was you. just absolutely nuts. And so the second project was this thing called knocked out loaded, which was about a, uh, a female character actually. And she was an ad executive and she goes skiing. And when she comes home, the original uh, piece of it was she comes home and her house is a lie. It's all, she has a horrible relationship with her parents. She's not a very nice person and her house makes her look like she's this other person that she's Mm. basically decorated it to this, this fantasy, you know, which Mm. in the end turns out to be social media now, you know, with, with influencers on, on Instagram. That's, you know, it was that sort of an idea. Mm -hmm. I was like, what would you become if you didn't know who you were originally? And so that was the idea of knocked out loaded. So I just borrowed that. I said, well, I've got this full cast of characters and I, I borrowed that idea. And then it was like, boy, I don't want to write a long form book. And if I'm, I'm, I guess if I'm good at anything, I'm good at the comic strip. And it was like, I went back to that original idea from the eighties of like, can you tell a long form using the comic strip? And can you not just use the format, but can you still have a gag so that you could pull that strip out and it sort of, works without the rest of the strips that you know people would still clip them out and hang them on a fridge Mm -hmm. because that's the power of the comic strip is that you still have a little bite every day um and so yeah that's what i went after that's what i was like okay is is there a strength to writing in those these little you know three panel couplets four panel couplets and 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 you know trying to invent an iambic pentameter kind of thing for for the comic strip in longer form yeah and it and it works and it's uh you know I don't know that you can pull out every single strip like no. that I don't think you intended no, it, didn't it to. No, it work that. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, but I don't think you can with any strip. I Right. I, I realized that I actually when I, I did the first Indiegogo with that uh, I realized what trouble I had when I when I got back to it, it was like cuz it was the original promise on the Indiegogo was like we'll deliver these in 2 months and everything will be great. And I when I got back into the book it was like oof this, this isn't a book quite yet. So uh-huh. I actually tore the, the back a third of it off and rewrote, I think about 50 new strips for it and did abandon some of that by the time you get to the third act, because it needed more stru- structure and, and it didn't quite support uh, that. But you know, the, the idea got a little bigger than uh, the original intent. And I think you could still do it with, with a simpler story and less consequences. Well, I still, you know, well, while I don't think you can necessarily pull every strip out and put it on the fridge in that way, I do think it it's still the idea, basic idea is there and the basic idea works and you can, and it's kind of fun in one way to read it and forget about that format. And that's what happened to me the, the first time I read it really without paying attention to that. But the second time I went back into it and I read it, it was, it was really fun to read it as single strips and go from one and, and pause and then go to the next one and pause because uh, it, it had a rhythm to it that was comic strip like, but at the same time, you know, it was like the best of two worlds. You get the continuity 
continuity strip at the same time you get the, the gag. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that that really harkened back to the strips that, that, we're, that you can't do anymore, uh, those continuity strips from the past, Little Abner and whatnot. It, yeah, it has yeah. that quality to well, it. Thanks. But it hangs together really well as a, as a novel, too, wherein you can just forget that and, and you can go along with the story because it's a compelling story. Oh, thank you. I, I think that was what was the most fun of it was using, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that technology and, and business and format influence art. And, you know, you need those kind of constraints. And mm-hmm. that was the, um, the, the point of the book was that, and it was published uh, daily on jancy.com. So mm-hmm. there was a delay between all those, those uh, tiers because there's mm-hmm. three strips on a page and there's six strips on a spread that obviously represents Monday through Saturday. And in a, you know, in a typical or a traditional uh, publishing uh, sequence. Right. And so, yeah, the idea was that um, the biggest joke should be that last uh, joke before you turn the page, you know, yeah. that, that's where you put the cliffhanger hanger borrowing from the comic book uh, language. Yeah. And yet at the same time, each one of those, those other, uh, you know, last panels on, on that tier there's something going on there that hopefully makes you want to keep reading and, and you know, working your way through the book. Oh, yeah. I, I had finished the book and I was in uh, Savannah teaching and Brian Ralph, who uh, his show just started on Netflix yesterday, uh, Daybreak. I uh-huh. had Brian read the, uh, uh, the book um, and he goes, uh, this is really good, but he goes, it's too fast. He goes, I couldn't yeah. even catch my breath. It so does go. Yeah. I actually went back and added pages uh-huh. To put breaks in there for that reason, just where things he goes, you just need people sitting around sometimes thinking about stuff. <laughs> he goes, yeah, What's it, your it, hurry? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a momentum to it though, and I think as a storyteller, you get caught up in the momentum. And well, and part of that was that there were breaks in that the strips were originally meant to be published a day apart. Yeah. And so it wasn't that fast if you only read one a day. But as right. a book, in the book form, suddenly the, the velocity of the, of the story sped up. And I found that a really interesting comment that of like, oh, you don't remember that it was published very differently. And mm-hmm. so I did go back, though, and realized, look, it's now a book. It has mm-hmm. to behave a bit like a book. And so there's a sequence where he's just sitting on a bunch of drywall thinking about things. I think it's a page or two. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a direct influence of, of what Brian told me. We're like, slow this thing down. Just have him. You know, have him take catch his breath for a second. Yeah, ruminate over what's happened and what, <laughs> yeah, what all the circumstances. So you obviously then wrote it consciously, almost in that way, like the same way you wrote the comic strip, just with this idea of this larger structure. Yeah, yeah. And also, though, the the, the other thing I did was I didn't do an outline. Oh, so okay. I literally, I wrote it. You know, as as we call it in animation, I just wrote it straightforward. Straight. Yeah. You know, I just I went ahead and just. Um, basically started with strip one and knew where I was going. And because I had thought about this quite a bit, developing it for a DC comic, I, I had the themes in mind and so forth, but I actually found myself getting lost in the middle of it sometimes like, okay, I went in a direction I didn't think I did, which was, um, I changed, you know, what the, the theme of the, the whole book was about. So it wasn't about just, um, the idea of, can you be somebody better than yourself? It turned more into, you know, who would you become if you didn't, you know, if you relied on others to tell you who you were hmm. and, and just that little twist, you know, made a very big difference. 
And what Norm finds through that piece, obviously he's having a midlife crisis, a very early one for his age, but still it's essentially he's going through, you know, some very large sea changes in his life. And a lot of that was uh, dealt with his wife's miscarriage and kind of dealing with growing up and not ready really for all the tough things that are coming in life. And then, you know, the past shows up and and starts bothering him again with ex-girlfriends and, and all this. And as, as he's knocked out loaded in the book this time, he's, he doesn't worry about that anymore. Yeah. And so it was more a matter about negating, you know, what's the old saying that we hear all the time, which is uh, you're not responsible for what happens to you, but you're responsible for how you react. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. that's essentially the theme of the book, which is what if you didn't react the way you normally do to things? Yeah, and the mechanism so, is what if you didn't know yourself? And he he seems to learn a lot from from going through that process. Uh, you know, there's a kind of reconciliation with himself at the at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. In the, in the in the form of a lot of boy norms and action figure norms and <laughs> old norms and monkey norms and. I yeah. think I think one of the sequences I liked in that the best is when he's arguing with his wife and he's turned into King Kong. He's tearing the I house love, apart. And he suddenly that. realizes, wait, I'm actually just arguing with myself. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And and visually, it's so beautifully resolved, too. You did such a great job with that. And uh, yeah. uh, but I love that sequence. And there are a lot of sequences in, in the book that are just as stunning visually. But that that is a really that's a beaut, you know, uh, the way. Oh, you thank you. That, you yeah, know. no, he he's a he's, he's a nut. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is. But, you know, I think. You know, I don't necessarily think it's a gender thing, but I think we can all recognize something of ourselves in in what's happening to him. And I don't know how much, you know, obviously, as you said, all the characters are you to some regard. But then as we go through life, we encounter these painful moments, uh, such as uh, Renee's um, miscarriage. And and they change us. They challenge us. They change us. And in Norm's case, he has to come face to face with his fear of loss and uh fear of growing up and accepting responsibility but at the same time you know you come to the new book and you read that and and it's really so gratifying in a way uh to see you know the 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 family situation that he's gotten the love that he has for his kids that really ekes out of every page every page seeps with with the love that he feels for his children which is a great resolution and an epilogue if you will although you know it's more than an epilogue but that's that's uh that's how it yeah, feels. It's, it's that steady drip of a of a of a roof leak epilogue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, so so you're interested in animation. Where did where did that start? Where did that come from? And you've got Yancy Studio or Jancy Studios, yeah. you know, now a very successful animation studio. And if you go to YouTube and you pick up your your uh, channel, there's a lot of stuff there to look at. Some dealing with with the norm, some dealing with other comic strips. Where is it? Where did that interest come from, and how has it gotten to where it is? And what kind of projects are you continuing to work on? The uh, the the studio's sort of on hiatus right now, as I've uh, moved it um, to uh, teaching first in uh, 2009, and was still working on mm-hmm. projects with Joe Murray and some others. Uh, worked on a feature film animation for Larry Kasdan. What I did when I started the studio was I had, when I was at Industrial Light and Magic, we, we were using a, a uh, there was a, another artist there, and I were using After Effects to do animatics of our storyboards. And 
somewhere in there, you know, I was also syndicated at the time and I realized, oh my gosh, this, I could do little cartoons with, right, right. You know, I could just tear the strip apart and so forth. So that was sort of the beginning of this, this incubation of that idea. Um, when I, um, and we back to San Francisco, let's see, it was about 2004. I, I came upon this um, couple of clients, and one of them was a, a, a company my wife had worked for at one point, a hotel company. And they were looking to do a training video um, for five-star service for their their employees. They were having to uh, basically, they had opened these really fancy hotels, um, and uh, they couldn't find U.S. workers to populate them with the sort of European level of service. So, um, so they started hiring out of Brazil and uh, Switzerland and a bunch of other places. And the, the next issue was language, which was they needed a training video that uh, people could watch. And so that's what I, what I pitched to them was, well, let's make a, you know, kind of an old fashioned cartoon character um, who basically exemplifies and shows these, these, um, these experiences. Yeah. What we did was, um, let me just kind of back up the, the, the way the animation studio came about was just through a client that had a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and the solution to that was Mr. Lux, which was sort of your classic pink Panther, um, character who exemplified service at a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. our, our next client was YouTube. We were going to create, um, about 20, uh, animated videos for uh, their help center to help people figure out how to use YouTube when it was first launched. Uh, we ended up making one very long video instead of 20 short ones. And uh, from there, other clients came. And then <clears throat> what developed out of that was was uh, still talking with my syndicate and the other syndicates to try to figure out a way to move comics from page to screen. Mm-hmm. And we started with animation, which was very expensive. Uh, the motion comic thing was kind of going on in the mid-2000s. And... Um, we looked at motion comic work, and uh, I worked with um, King Features on Zits. We did about 36 mm-hmm. motion comic tests. Um, and then with that, um, the costs were still – we I was able to reduce costs a lot. But slowly, I, I just kept working on my own with uh, the norm, and that's where uh, I came up with this idea of a comic radio, which was really leaned on reading versus viewing, You know, getting back to the idea that, that comic strips – in comic books, the real joy of them is the reading. Yeah. And if you take yeah. away the reading, you just have, you just have TV or, or animation. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the pictures, you can do voiceover, but you have radio. And so how do you hang on to that text image interdependence of, of the comic strip Yeah. and yet have it on a screen versus on a page? Yeah. Um, and so that was, that's why there's so many little experiments up on, uh, the YouTube GNC Studios site is uh, I did the, the new format when I created the new Norm 4.0. It's why I the panels are now 16.9 in aspect is, and there's six of them because four isn't really enough for a, a little short video. Um, you need six panels to kind of get there, and so here the technology and the the format is pushing the art in a different direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, it's still a comic strip, but the idea was that you can go watch. I think I made about a hundred of them before I, I stopped right. last summer. Um, but you can go watch them, and the idea was to get rid of the opening credits and the end credits and a lot of that stuff, and get it to a point where you could watch ten or twenty in a row, 
each being about 30 seconds long and, and uh, have print short form media. And so all that's left is there's no voiceovers. There's just sound effects and the camera moves are the eye movement. And essentially you, you have to read the video. Um, and you can pause yeah. it if, if it's going too fast, you can pause it. If right. it's going too slow, well, I can't help you. We can't, we can't control <laughs> everything. <laughs> but that was the idea behind the comic radio. And it's, it's, I'm, I still love it. The, the coolest part was I was also able to scale by a factor of 10. The animation took, let's say, 100, 100 hours. The motion comic took 10 hours and, uh, to make. And the comic radio takes an hour. And that's where cost also comes down. And the idea also is that you can then just do it at your home studio yourself. You don't need a corporation to help you. And so if, if a cartoonist wanted to come along and start doing comic radios, they could make the comic and then spend an hour, you know, hopefully with some good editing skills that they learn over time. Go take a class, please, first. But uh, that this would be another way to deliver comics um, if we run out of paper. Yeah, it's it's interesting uh, because now King Features uh, is looking more and more into animation. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand, that um, their their interests um, are more uh, leaning more towards that. I know that they they've been doing some Popeye stuff, uh, and uh, they recently I think made a deal with the Cuphead video game property um so you know they're leaning that way and it's kind of interesting they're beginning to think maybe late in the game uh but animation one way or the other is one way to get this work out there yeah and i don't Um, think we're i don't think it's late in the game yet i I think you know these are new industries and and large companies like uh king features which is part of the hearst you know they're not they can't be faulted for for moving slowly they've Mm. they you know they can't just dash what works and King Features, I think, has realized it's a licensing firm. You know, its its success is with mm-hmm. Popeye and Betty yeah. Boop. And so in many ways, um, the their days of comic creation, they're still doing it. But, you know, they're, they're obviously their they're money making is in the world of licensing. And so the Cuphead thing is a very good idea. And making a Popeye yeah. feature is a great idea, and, you know, to, to keep these things going that way. But look, you know, I don't look to those large companies to do any of this innovation. I think the innovation is going to come from from single sole proprietors who have a, some skin in the game and just decide to do something. And one of these ideas eventually, I don't think comic radios is any sort of a solution per se, but hopefully it's something people build on or, or at least directs them away from a bad idea towards what might, might, what might work one day. But it's out there. There's, there is a need for comics. Um, it's just yeah. not as large as it used to be. You know, when, when comics were in papers, pre-World War II, they were just the biggest thing in America. Right. And, you know, that yeah. golden age has long ended. And, and even the golden age of comic books was pre-World War II. Um, and there's yeah. been nothing like it since. And it's not because of television and it's not just because of the Internet. It's also just because society has changed and doesn't need us the way they needed us before. Yeah. I, I, and, and it's hard to reconcile that with one's creative bent, you know, but well, but at the same time, I think you're right. And technology uh, is, is one of the things though. that, yeah. yeah, 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 
Yeah. And people are on Instagram and people are, you know, uh, wherever on social media. And Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be the vehicle for distribution these days. And um, and reading is a different thing than it was, you know, reading the the comics in the newspaper was kind of leisurely activity. Now you're scrolling through Instagram and, you know, you're seeing thousands of things, you know, go by your eyes very quickly. And then you'll stop and read a comic. But it's in between all of these other things that are that are happening. I think, um, you know, the, the story strip, the, the adventure strip was very big in the thirties and forties because there was captive audiences in newspapers. You could do that work. And so looking at the other side of that now, the, the, the comic strip, the gag comic strip became very prevalent in the fifties and sixties and started waning off in the seventies because there was a lot of need for shorter form content in newspapers. People didn't want to have to follow Steve Canyon or, or, you know, Popeye through these adventures. And, and I think what we're seeing now is that if you're, if you're going to win on Instagram, you're probably going to be a single panel gag centered strip. Um, I'm, I'm, it's much easier to not have to flip to another panel. So when I read speed bump, I can read speed bump in my email each morning, but I can also bump into it on Twitter or Instagram. And it's, it's a much easier cup of tea than a four panel strip that relies on wait, 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 there's some backstory here. There's some dynamics mm-hmm. going on. Uh, and so the crankshafts, the Luans and so forth, they're, they're not built for this, this scroll functionality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, web comics, um, when they started in the nineties, you know, basically leaped off the format of the daily comic strip and, um, yeah. you know, social, yeah. social media, um, especially, right especially, you know, the kind of the, the, the younger babies in social media, the Instagrams, and I don't even know the name of the other ones, but, um, you know, this is essentially two old guys talking about things they don't know about, I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, so, what's so fun about this is sort of, what's fun about this is that, is that, uh, you know, I know I'm not the guy who's going to figure this out. It's, um, but yeah. uh, it's it's still fun to play in the sandbox. I just I love sitting down with a piece of paper, uh-huh. and uh-huh. and I'm not I'm not doing seven a week. I might you know I know that you know if I was syndicated I might have a different point of view on that because I want to get things mm-hmm. done. But um, you know Norm is Norm is kind of my hobby right now as I work mm-hmm. on these digital projects at Amazon. But I'm. Um, I, I just, I love being able to sit down and, and, and work. And I actually get mad at myself that I don't open, open up a pot of ink and get out a number one brush that I just use the Pentel brush pen, but uh, it's, it's so much easier not to have to dip. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I'm not completely a zealot that, uh, a complete uh, knuckle dragger <laughs> that, that I have to use a brush and so forth, but it's been fun to, I mean, it just is fun. And yeah. the only reason I'm doing the strip at this point is for the joy of, for my own joy and then uh, spreading a little joy, you know, for those that are uh, reading it. Well, you do that, you know, very well and you mission accomplished in that regard. Oh, and uh, I, yeah. And I, I think we, we all look forward to, you know, your weekly endeavors and whatever, whatever's next for the norm and for Michael Jancy. Your audience, including myself, we're looking forward to to uh, the next step.
whatever that is. Yeah. Well, and, right uh, now, the next step is, you know, I just launched a, another Indiegogo campaign yesterday for uh, the oh, 2020 okay. Norm wall calendar. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Just, uh, I'll have, I'll have all the details up at jancy.com later today, but uh, yeah, you can, you can have Norm solve all your problems next year by being your favorite wall calendar. And then from there, we'll see what we do. Yeah. Okay. So the, uh, the walk calendar uh, on Indiegogo, how do people find that? Uh, probably the easiest way is go to jancy.com. I'll have a link up there. Okie doke. Great. Michael, thank you for, for spending uh, you know, this extended period of time with myself and with the uh, Blockhead audience. It's been, really, it's been really great. I know your time is valuable, and there's lots that you probably want to do with your Saturday. So I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. Oh, well, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. It's been fun chatting. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that discussion between Michael and myself. It certainly was a lot of fun for me and a big treat for me because I'm a big admirer of Michael's work. And uh, again, I hope you check out Jancy.com. You can follow Michael on Instagram at Jancy, so J-A-N. T-Z-E. So I hope you'll do that because you can keep up with all of his latest stuff and find out what's available at Chansey.com and what's coming up for the norm. Next time, we have the cartoonist creator of the wonderful webcomic Crabgrass, which is a big hit on Go Comics and on Instagram and any place webcomics can be found. Crabgrass is, if you haven't read it, Crabgrass is just an astounding astounding piece of work uh it is it, it blows my mind it's so great so beautiful uh it is about two adolescents uh, or pre-adolescents uh growing up in the 1980s and uh their friendship and it is just a terrific piece of work and no matter when you grew up it's it 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 gets to you because uh, the scenarios are all so familiar and uh, it, it's funny and uh, it's it's just hilarious and it's beautifully drawn and it's by a great cartoonist by the name of Tahid Bondia and Tahid is going to be our guest next time to talk his, about his work on crabgrass and where it came from and uh, it's you know it's skyrocketing success on online and to talk about his previous work as well so I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are too so Tahid Bondia is our next guest and in the meantime check out my stuff <laughs> please no go check out my stuff you can follow me on instagram at grogan jeff and uh i got it right this time g-r-o-g-a-n-g-e-o-f-f so uh, be sure to do that okay you can follow my comic spiking the lens there you can follow any info that's about blockhead and upcoming episodes there, and so please do so, okay? Uh, be happy to see you there on Instagram. It's such a happy place. I guess we've reached the end of another episode, so thanks for being here, and tell all your friends, pass the word. The more Blockhead listeners, the, the better. The more Blockheads in the world, the better. And I think it's it, it means that we get lots more action on the uh, podcast and a lot more interest from from cartoonists and a lot more fun interviews too so be sure to do that and uh, as always thanks for listening